All right, so 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 11 through 22. All right. All right. When you're all ready, feel free to stand if you would like, and we will read the word together. Starting in verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commanding ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearances and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are his ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's the word of the Lord. You are seated. Um, if you're not the most familiar uh, with uh, Corinthians, Second Corinthians, um, this church in this town called Corinth um, is one that the Apostle Paul had a, a very complicated and difficult uh, relationship with. Um, before, before Paul wrote this letter, Second uh, Corinthians, uh, Paul had sent one of his guys, Timothy, uh, to these people on his behalf. And when Timothy gets there, he sees that the church is in uh, absolute chaos. Everything is just out of place. People aren't behaving. Just nothing is as it should be, or as he would, have, as Paul would have hoped it would be. And when, um, and so, and this was probably more than likely because uh, this church had been entertaining uh, some of Paul's opponents, some people that were out uh, peddling a false gospel. And so Paul learns about this and decides that he needs to go to Corinth. Make, pay visits and handle some business. But before he does, he writes a letter and sends it uh, to Corinth. And in this letter, uh, Paul warns the church about God's judgment. And the good news is, is that the majority of this church repents. And rightfully so, Paul's excited about this. However, uh, there remains a small portion of this church, uh, this rebellious minority, who is staying in rebellion, 
and I think most of us at this point know uh, how damaging a small minority uh, can be. And so in response, Paul writes the letter, 2 Corinthians, um, which we just read. And so in the, the passage that we read, uh, Paul starts off by uh, talking about the fear of the Lord. And Paul is addressing the incredible sin uh, in the church. And he's reminding them about what, how it's important to have a healthy fear of the Lord. And what Paul is doing here is he's in love. He's teaching them about having a healthy fear of the Lord. This is not about them being terrified or being afraid. But instead, what Paul is working to do is he's directing them back to having a, a sober mind. Uh, he wants them to have a reverential awe uh, for God. He wants them to be mindful that God knows uh, their hearts, what's in their mind, and their, all of their knowledge, even the deepest parts. And that's where Paul is directing them back when he wants them to have a healthy fear of the Lord. It's not about being terrified. It's not about that. But it's about having a sober mind and knowing who uh, God is. Um, because clearly this church uh, has forgotten. And I think each one of us can uh, relate to that in one way or another. Uh, but Paul ultimately wants the church in Corinth to be ultimately in awe standing before a holy God. He wants them to know that God is the one who is morally uh, superior. And Paul understands this. He understands what it is to, to, be, to have a healthy fear of God. Uh, because a healthy fear of God is what has persuaded a uh, has what has driven Paul to persuade others uh, to the gospel. And that is ultimately what has uh, sent him uh, to the church in uh, Corinth. And if we know anything about Paul's uh, background, uh, we know that Paul was once, like us, uh, a hater of God. Uh, Paul was a Pharisee. He's often uh, called the, the great Pharisee. And uh, in his letter, Paul, t uh, Paul tells us um, before his uh, conversion, conversion, that he is one who uh, judged Christ according uh, to the flesh. And Paul did find, previously, he found Christ uh, to be guilty. Paul thought of uh, Christ, again, previously, as a counterfeit uh, Messiah. Uh, he thought that Jesus went too far with his teachings. Uh, he thought that Jesus deserved to be uh, crucified. And what Peter, uh, what's, um, Jesus' crucifixion ultimately proved Paul right as he, once again, as he had previously thought. And he thought that the crucifixion was something that was going to put Christ's followers uh, to a halt. He thought that they would stop, that they would just scatter around, and that they wouldn't have to deal with them anymore. Um, but as you and I know today, because we're here, that that's ultimately not what happened, that things just continue to, to move forward. And the irony of the situation is that there's a lot of similarity about what Christ had dealt with and with what Paul is dealing with with the, the Corinthian church. Uh, Paul is dealing with uh, being disrespected. He's dealing with uh, being rejected. Um, also, Paul's physical appearance is nothing to write home about. Uh, he's viewed as a weak man. And in his ministry, he has suffered a lot, had been treated incredibly poorly. Uh, Jesus was despised and rejected uh, uh, by Paul. Um, as Paul has mentioned. Um, and there's a lot of suffering, similarities between the, the suffering of, of those two. Um, 
And the church of Corinth knew about Paul's suffering. Paul but didn't exactly try to hide it. Paul talks about uh, dying daily. And this church thought that Paul's, what he said about dying daily, and his, he thought this was all, they thought this all sounded fake. They thought he was a phony. Um, but Paul had been cured of regarding Christ uh, according to the flesh, flesh on the road to Damascus at the, his conversion. Um, but because of the gospel, Paul, the church in Corinth, us here today, uh, all believers, are ultimately done with shallow, superficial, wicked regards uh, to Christ and others, and especially those who are part of the church, who are part of the, the household of faith. And this ultimately puts us in tune with the heart of God. First uh, Samuel 16.7 tells us uh, that man is, looks at the outward appearance, but it is the Lord who looks at uh, the heart. So as we continue on with the passage, uh, we see that Paul is ultimately, uh, he's fighting for the church. He's fighting for the, the Corinthian church. Um, he understands, because they've been tempted uh, by Paul's enemies, um, and they've been tempted with a false gospel that sounds good, it sounds pleasing to the ears, and it looks, ultimately, it looks like success. Um, and, but Paul is defending his ministry to this church, um, which is basically viewed as unimpressive. Um, Paul is not viewed as, Paul's not an impressive guy. His ministry is not an impressive ministry. Uh, but that doesn't stop Paul from speaking positively about his ministry and the work that the Lord has uh, done in it. Um, so Paul is distinguishing the difference between him and the false teachers. And he's ultimately drawing a line in the sand. And he's criticizing the false teachers for focusing on the outward appearance. Uh, they boast about their outward appearance. They boast about their impressive speech. They boast about uh, their display. They boast about their performance. They boast about uh, everything. They brag about themselves. Um, and what's interesting is it, it appears that the Corinthians are concerned because Paul doesn't boast and brag about himself uh, enough. Um, because they're, they seem to be, and I think we're all guilty of this, uh, lured by the false teachers because of how they boast about themselves. They see the success and they see what is perceived as a blessing, which Paul does not appear to, to have with his suffering and just how bland they perceive him uh, to be. And what these false teachers boast in, it lines up really well uh, with what we see in a lot of movements in our culture today. Um, it seems to line up, it looks like it lines up really well with the, the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel, um, it boasts about their success. Uh, they boast about their wealth. They boast about their spending. They focus a lot on their outward uh, exterior, their appearance, and they encourage and teach other people to go and uh, do the same. Um, they teach you if you work harder, if you have enough faith, if you do this right, do this right, then you can look just like me, and that's good. That means God has blessed you. And if we're being honest, like on the surface, all of this talk about the exterior and everything, it, uh, on the surface it sounds uh, attractive. Um, but if you have, and if, and if you have, if you, at one point or another today or in the past, ever suffered or struggled to get by, like you can understand this, you can sympathize with it. But Paul's reminding the Corinthian people to not get caught up in this, uh, to stop being distracted 
and he's ultimately reminding them of the true, real, authentic gospel. And Paul's reminding them of what matters most. And what we are most concerned about is what we should always go back to with the heart and the human condition. Uh, Marcus Dobbs, the Scottish theologian, uh, said this about our attraction to the uh, outward appearance. Uh, from the beginning of Christianity to this day, uh, churches have gathered around men and made their boast in them. Too often it has been a boast uh, in face and not in heart, in gifts, accomplishments, and distinctions, which may have given an outward splendor to the individual, but which were entirely irrelevant to the possession of the Christian spirit. The same thing is seen every day on a similar scale in congregations. People are proud of the minister, not for what he is in heart, but because he is more learned, more eloquent, more naturally capable than other preachers in the same town. And so, I think if we're, if we're honest, we can say for, for us today and us today here in our culture, this is not an issue that is only within the circles like of the prosperity gospel. Um, this is an issue, uh, like, we, like we've said, that has been a part of the human condition from the, from the, from the beginning. And if, we, if you pay attention to ministry culture, and if you do, to some extent, I'm sorry, um, if you see the headlines about pastors who fall, um, if you see a lot of the movements you see within different denominations, different networks and movements and that kind of stuff, um, we can see that a lot of this, this is just stuff that has, continues over and over again, and it just puts a different cover on it. So it calls it a different name. Um, we have a, a hard time with direct go, moving away from the exterior and focusing on the human heart. And we have, a, we have a hard time focusing on the gospel and not on these other distractions. Um, but Marcus Dobbs makes a really good point here. And it ties into what the Corinthian people are dealing with here today. And we see that these struggles continue uh, today. And interestingly enough, this quote that I just read was a long time uh, before the Internet, and it was a long time uh, before terms like celebrity pastor uh, existed. Um, and so I remember when we were getting, I guess, commissioned to uh, church plants back in West Texas, uh, we went to like the church that was, I guess, ordaining me. Um, we went over there for the service, and they did the thing and the stuff. And uh, the pastor, who has been my friend for like over 15 years, uh, was getting up there and telling me how he's excited that they're helping a church plant. They're excited about how what God's going to do and how find the town where we're at. And he gets to me and he starts talking about me. And he's like, I'm excited about John. He's like, there's nothing flashy about him. And I'm like, bro, like, dude, like, homie, I'm right here, man. Like, this is not a sales pitch. Um, and then I let him finish talking. And I was like, okay, this makes sense. And I go back to this text, and I understand what he's getting at. And I'm like, well, with Paul, like, there was nothing, like we've said, we've said a few times, there's nothing flashy about him. Like, he wasn't about creating the distractions. Um, he's not like the, the false teachers here. Um, we're not like the, the magicians from this day that would go from town to town, make a huge display and distract people and lead them astray and steal from them and, and do those different things. Like, 
like Christ wasn't about the flesh. He wasn't about the distractions. Um, what we see with here is like, they let the gospel do what the gospel does. They let the calling on our lives do what the calling on our lives is supposed to do. There's, there's no flesh here at all. Um, and we need to be reminded about this over and over again. Like, each one of us needs to be, hear the gospel over and over again. We don't need all this stuff about the exterior to, 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 for the gospel. The gospel stands alone well on its all by itself. Um, and as Paul journeys on to this, in this letter, like he moves into like the love of Christ. And that's what Paul tells, uh, is telling them that it's ultimately the love of Christ is what uh, controls us. And the fear of Christ motivates us. And it's the love of Christ that compels us, uh, compels the motivation. And within this, we ultimately die uh, in Christ. And so because Christ is the one who has died for all, and all have died in him, the love of Christ is, is ultimately a controlling force. And that is what Paul is getting at here in this letter to the Corinthians. Is he's telling them, he's like, the love of Christ is what controls us. It holds us, and it, it bounds us. And this love, uh, love causes us to have a, a mighty response. Like, the love of Christ should cause every person to have a mighty response. Because the, the work of Christ's life, uh, life is willingness to, uh, to be a sacrifice, what was accomplished through the cross, uh, because of what he did for us, it ultimately compels us to go and live for him. If we know what Christ has done for us, then we can say that the rest of our life is, is for him, every aspect of it. Because those who do love Christ want to give all of their life uh, to him uh, daily, hourly. Um, and this is what we see that in Paul's ministry, um, in his unimpressive yet epic ministry, this is ultimately what, uh, what fuels him. And Paul tells the Corinthians that from on now, that we do not look at people, uh, he says, we don't look at people differently. Uh, in every aspect of life, uh, we do not look, uh, we, we do look at people differently. That we do not judge according to the outward appearance, as the false teachers do. Uh, we don't judge according to the uh, worldly uh, standards, because our eyes have been opened. And he says that we are new creations. And that's the, the word that Paul uses intentionally. He says that we are new creations. And to have one's eyes open as a new creation, we are ushered into the new creation. Uh, and this is the new creation that Christ launched through his death and his resurrection, which began to explode as the church grew. And we see in the book of Acts, we see the Gentiles start to come into the, flight, come into the faith. We see this explode throughout the, uh, the New Testament. And this promised new creation is ultimately dawned when Christ resurrected uh, and has embraced us and now defines ultimately the time that we live in today. And so Paul is calling believers here uh, new creations, but he is also asserting to the restoration of Eden, which God has been working towards progressing uh, since Genesis 3, the fall. And so to put it very simply, what Paul is saying is that the old has passed away uh, and the new has come. And Paul says that Christ is reconciling us ultimately uh, to himself. And so this, the word reconciliation, what Paul is talking about here is he's talking about 
uh, what it means to take something broken and to fix it, to mend it. Like what is damaged and needs repairing. And so what Paul is saying is that Christ reconciled us to himself, right? Uh, this broken relationship, this broken condition, it is being uh, fixed, it is being healed. And what's interesting about this reconciliation is that Christ does this while uh, we were enemies uh, with God. And while we were enemies with God, um, we have been restored and we have been united uh, with him. And so God did not, did not casually, we tend to, un, I think unintentionally, I want to give the benefit of the doubt, we tend to unintentionally act like God casually overlooks our rebellion, which he doesn't. Um, he does not overlook our treasonous rebellion against him. Um, he sends his son to pay the penalty, and he restored our fellowship uh, with God. And so we need to understand that we're in desperate need of reconciliation. Uh, not only in our union with God, not only, not only is our union with God shattered, but Scripture tells us that creation also groans as a result of sin. And so not only did God reconcile us back to him, but he did something else that is very important, was he gave us a ministry, he gave us a work, and he gave us this ministry of reconciliation. And when we look at Paul's letter, uh, we, we see that reconciliation is all of God's work. That reconciliation is 100% God, it's his unassisted work, and that God is the creator of uh, the message. That God is the creator of the ministry, that God is the, he's the creator of reconciliation. The reason that it's a word, the reason that it's an event, uh, the reason that it exists, it's all because God is the one who authored this. And so when you look at verses 18 and 20, there's no way that you can read this passage and get the sen a sense of pride that somehow you and I contributed anything uh, to this thing at all. Um, that this is all 100% uh, God. So this ministry of reconciliation, like verse 19 says, that in Christ God was. And it is clear as day that reconciliation is not anything that we do. It's not something that we initiate. It's not something that we add on to. It's not something, it is strictly something that God has accomplished. And that is something that we should be able to look at and we should call that good news. Um, so this ministry of reconciliation, we need to understand that it's not telling people that they need to make peace with God. But it's telling people that God has made peace with them, that God has made peace with the world. Um, because Christ is reconciling the world um, to himself. And again, this is something that is good news. Uh, Romans 5, verses 10 through 11 uh, say, That for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So, when you read the Old Testament and when you read the New Testament, when you read the Scriptures, one of the most fascinating things that you eventually start to see is that you never ever see man initiate uh, contact with God. But what we always see over and over and over again is that we see that God snatches up sinners uh, for himself and for his own purpose. And once you see that, you cannot like unsee it. And once you see it, you, uh, we have got, must understand that it is, it is good news. 
Um, there's never been a time throughout human history where we have initiated contact with God. Every single time, God is the one who initiates with us. God's the one who snatches us up. God's the one who grabs us and brings us in and calls us his. Um, and, it's, and it is always, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, while, again, while we were enemies. Um, and so we're not called, again, we're not called to make peace with God. Uh, this is strictly uh, God's work. Um, in our reconciliation back to God, there is an assessment that is going on. And Paul says in this letter to the Corinthians, um, not counting their trespasses against them. Uh, not counting their trespasses against them. And so there is an assessment of sin. Um, it is happening. Uh, but what's incredible is that the sins are not assessed back to the sinner, but they are assessed back to Christ. And Christ is the one who takes on sin. And we have to understand that Christ does take on the sin willingly. Um, and with that in mind, uh, Paul is the one who calls himself the chief of sinners. And so he we have to remember that he organized awful persecution against uh, Christians, including women and including children. And on the road to Damascus in Acts 9, uh, it tells us that the Lord saved him. And when you read that story, you see that Paul did not initiate the contact with God, but it was God who clearly initiated it uh, with him. And we see in that story that Christ went in 100% and reconciles Paul back to himself. While Paul was on the road to Damascus with government documentations to do serious harm to Christians, men, women, and children, um, Paul was then afterwards entrusted with the ministry of reconciliation, which we're reading his teaching about uh, right now. And so in verse 20, it says that Paul calls us, with the ministry of reconciliation in mind, it tells us that Paul calls us uh, ambassadors uh, for Christ. And ambassadors is a remarkably bold analogy, but it describes our ministry really well, uh, because ambassadors are people who do have authority. So if you're not familiar with the term, uh, the, an ambassador is a person, again, with authority, who is sent from one land uh, to another. For example, uh, the U.S. has ambassadors in other countries um, doing work as representatives of the U.S. And so ambassadors are people who carry authority, and they exist to be influential, and they exist to be people who are uh, bridge builders. And when Paul says that we are ambassadors for Christ, uh, he is saying that we, all of us, are people who do carry authority. Ambassadors of Christ do not speak in our name, but we do speak in Christ's name. And our authority does go up to Christ. And so this message of reconciliation is not something that originates with you, it's not something that originates with me, but it originates uh, with Christ himself. And so we need to understand, we, we must understand that what we say, it is important. Um, but it's, it's not just that. It's how we live is also very important. And how we live communicates so much about what we think and what we believe uh, about God and what he's doing. It also communicates about how we love our neighbor, if we, if we love our neighbor. Um, but we have to understand that how we live, it is powerful and it does uh, send a message. And so the, the ecclesia, uh, what we're talking about right now, and what we're going over for the, the next uh, few weeks, 
Um, the ecclesia is the called out. That's what Mike said last week. Uh, that's the church. Um, and Mike, again, took some time last week to talk about church membership, uh, like what the scriptures say about it, why it matters, like why it's not just uh, a superficial formality, um, but that it is important, and we see it in the scripture. Um, and with the scripture that he covered last week, uh, like each one of us is very fortunate to know that we have elders who truly do care about our souls, and we are blessed uh, in that way. Um, but our gathering here today is, uh, is of a local body. Um, and what we do here as a local body, like, it matters. Uh, it's a part of our life. It should be uh, essential. Um, because what the church does is essential. And so like here today, the ecclesia, God's called out, come together, we come together to worship today, to dig into the scriptures, uh, to pray together, to take part in the sacraments together. And we're doing here an aspect of life together as the, the ecclesia. Um, but the gathering is not the only thing that we do as uh, the called out. And so it's important that we know that the church does gather together, but when we're not gathering together, we scatter around throughout our city uh, in various different places and various different domains, like where we exist and where we live our life. Uh, so how we do this matters, like how we scatter matters. And we should, we should make uh, no mistake um, because we should know that we, in this world, we are called to be ambassadors uh, for Christ. And this is what Paul is getting at here in this letter, this part of it. And so with this in mind, I want to make it clear that like what I'm saying right now, what I'm about to say, is not taking away the importance of, of like verbally speaking, the, the sharing the gospel with other people. That is important, that's essential. Scripture tells us like that's how people receive the gospel, and how they are saved is through God's messengers who go and spread the gospel. Um, but that's not the only thing that Scripture tells us that we're supposed to do uh, uh, in this life. Um, scripture tells us that we're to cultivate. Scripture tells us we're to build. Uh, we're called to be creative. Um, in Genesis, we're told to have dominion over creation, um, which is another way, shockingly, that Scripture tells us that we are people with authority uh, on this earth. Um, this planet, this city that we live in, it does belong to God. And we should make, make no mistake about that. And we should never get mixed up with the idea that this belongs to the enemy. Uh, because it doesn't. Um, it doesn't belong to worldly leaders uh, either. Uh, this place, this place does belong to God. And I want to make that perfectly clear. This planet, this city that we live in, it belongs to God. It does not belong to the enemy. It does not belong to worldly leaders. But this place where we live, it is God's. And we must not forget that what does belong to God, it does belong to his family. And his family, we are his family. We are his sons. We are his daughters. We are his ambassadors with this ministry of reconciliation. So this all right here, like this is ours. And it is rightly so because it belongs to God. Um, where we go, the kingdom of God goes. And where we go, the kingdom of God should flourish. Um, and this is what being an ambassador sent by God for God uh, means. We represent him, and we exist here to be sent by him for his kingdom, for his kingdom to flourish uh, here. And like we said a second ago, like this is the new creation that we mentioned uh, earlier. 
uh, throughout church history, uh, this is what's often referred to as the already but not yet. Uh, Christ established his kingdom through his work, and we are his agents spreading the kingdom as we go about. And so we're sent by God, for God, for his kingdom, and we exist for the good of his kingdom. And like for us who make up Redemption Hill, we exist for the interest of the kingdom, to see the kingdom flourished in San Antonio uh, and beyond throughout the world. And so since we're sent by God, it's important that we also know that we answer to God and we only answer to God. And that's what Peter and the apostles are getting at when they start to deal with persecution in Acts 5. Um, it's up, they answer to God. It's up to God to decide what is right and what is wrong. It's up to God to, for them who decides what they do and what they don't do. They answer to him. We answer to him. And so this, there's a question that comes up uh, lately, um, like whenever I get around the table with people and we talk, have cigars, um, we talk about like the, the current state of the world, uh, this current condition. And we get together, we're just discussing the current events and stuff. And like one of the questions that always comes up is like, well, how do things get better? Like, how do we make a difference? Like, it's fine to get here, talk, maybe vent a little bit, express our concerns. Uh, but when we get on the table, like, it's, we hate the term, but like, it's a safe space. Like, that's what it is. You're personally invited to be there. Um, and so the question is, like, okay, well, then what's next? Um, and it's a really, it's a great question. Like, it really, it really is. Um, but like, one of the things that I always come back to is like, if we, we see the world and we see that it's not as it should be, if we're being honest, we're also glad that it's not how it was in a lot of other ways before. But we look at how things are going, like, this is not how it should be. Like, my answer is always, well, we need to get out and we need to, we need to build. Like, we need to create, we need to cultivate, and we seriously, like, need to, like, God said, take dominion. And so, like, if we want to see, and since, like, since this is where we live, if we want to see a flourish, if we want to see the kingdom of God spread, like, like, we must be, like, obedient with all aspects of our life. Um, and, like, that means, like, we're created to, we're created in the image of the creator, so therefore we are creative. Like, that's pretty simple. Um, but we, we must, we can't just sit by and say, well, somebody else needs to go build this. Somebody else needs to go establish this. Somebody else needs to go and do that. I don't feel like doing this. Like, no, like, it's already easier, for, it's, it's already for us because God said to go and do it. And this is God's, and God is, like, Christ is victorious. And so we're already, like, we're already set and ready to go. Um, but this is what it means to be an ambassador of the kingdom. Like, we exist here for the good of the kingdom. And unfortunately, in my experience, my experience, uh, is that a lot of most business owners and entrepreneurs I know are not Christians. Uh, most nonprofits that I know of who are doing great work, they're run by people that pray to some really weird stuff. And I really, personally, again, personally, I don't really know a lot of, of good artists that are Christians. Some, some of y'all may know more than I do, uh, but it's no secret that Christians are not generally dominating any of these creative things that build and cultivate culture. Um, and as the ecclesia, as those who are called out, like, we are equipped by God for this life. And we are new creations filled with the Holy Spirit. And so for that right there alone, 
Like, we should be the most inspiring people in our communities, in our domains. And I think a lot of us have bought into this lie that we're not set up to win this. Um, we're set up for victory because we belong to Christ, who is already victorious. And so Jesus has set up the kingdom of God here on earth. Uh, we know this because we are the ambassadors, and we have this ministry of reconciliation. And so, like, this right here is, this truly is awesome news. Like, this is, this is something that should excite us. This is something that should fuel us. This should give us an incredible amount of confidence that we are set up to succeed in this life. And so, like, we also need to, to know and not buy the lie that, like, this is not just figurative language. Uh, like, this is real. Um, we're a holy people that are set apart, not because of our doing again, but because of God's doing. Um, and this work we're called out to, it's, it's an eternal work. It's real, uh, and it matters, and it's a part of our, it's our purpose. Um, the reality of it is, though, is it rides on the truth of who uh, Christ is. And Paul tells the, the church here, um, that Christ uh, really, the re- it really truly is sinless. And this is one of the, probably the most explicit statements of Christ's sinlessness in the scriptures. Um, Jesus knew no sin. Uh, as, as a human being, as a person uh, who uh, grew up among sinners and lived among sinners, um, Christ was sinless and was fully aware of his sinlessness. And so we must realize that Jesus remained sinless when he became sin uh, for us. And so when we say that Christ became sin, we're saying that Christ was inwardly and outwardly clean. Uh, he was sinless. He, be- he became sin as our substitute and sacrifice. And so he suffered, really did suffer the fiery wrath of God uh, on the cross, and Christ was covered in all that was horrific and hateful. Um, as our rebellious uh, corruption poured over Christ's sinlessness, uh, but Jesus, in full consciousness, in full consciousness, took over our sin and bore them with a unity of understanding uh, and pain that none of us could ever comprehend. Um, but Christ did so so that we could be made uh, righteous. Um, there in the, the, the darkness, our sin was, was credited to Christ and his, righteousness was, and his righteousness was credited to you and it was credited uh, to me, all of those who do uh, believe. And so all our sins were credited to Christ, and his perfection and his righteousness was given to you, and it was given uh, to me, all of us who believe. And that is uh, what we call double uh, imputation. But we are declared to have Christ's righteousness. That is absolutely true. Uh, living out the righteousness of God was a concern for Paul. Uh, Paul tells the Corinthians people, that living our righteousness means to live our lives in the reality of the coming resurrection. And so when, when, uh, when we stand before the judge, Paul is saying that it means serving God not out of motivation of fear, but out of love. And this is part of that healthy fear that Paul's talking about at the beginning of the, the passage that we started. Um, this means casting aside the desires of the flesh and submitting to our new eternal uh, Father. Uh, Paul's talking about living in a new spirit-led uh, freedom and being um, as being who, beings who have been freed from the shackles of sin and free to live a uh, Christ-embracing ministry of reconciliation. 
uh, Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 2, through, verses 1 through 2 tells us in regards to this uh, new life as new creations. Um, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, uh, despising uh, the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And so my hope for each of us is that we can receive the gospel humbly uh, with great humility, uh, with just a little bit of understanding of our desperation uh, for the gospel, uh, that we don't get caught up in the, uh, the exterior, uh, but we do focus uh, on the heart, which is what the new covenant is about, uh, that we embrace our need for reconciliation, and that we do so not in vain, um, but that we each grow also in, in living out in the context that God has put us uh, in, in this life. Um, that we are people of good character, that we're influential to those around us, and that we, as, as long as it lives, it matters, as long as it's up to us, that we live in peace with those around us. Uh, my hope is that um, we uh, take dominion, uh, that we build, uh, that we grow in cultivating, and that we live to further the kingdom of God in this world and with how we live. Um, and that we continue to embrace being ambassadors sent by Christ with this ministry of reconciliation. And my hope is that we can truly each embrace that we were set apart by God to live, to, to be successful and to be uh, victorious uh, in this life as ambassadors of Christ. Um, and then doing so, that we continue to trust and rely on the truth of the gospel, knowing that there is one king and that he is Jesus. Uh, let's pray real quick. Lord, we thank you uh, for who you are. Uh, we thank you for just uh, ca- uh, calling us out. Uh, we thank you for choosing us to be your church and uh, for reconciling us uh, back to you. And um, we just uh, want to uh, just celebrate you, your plan, your gospel, your new creation, uh, that we each are your new creations as well, Lord. And we just thank you for this ministry, making us ambassadors. And uh, I just pray that each one of us, including myself, continues to grow in understanding your theology and that we all grow uh, just being builders, cultivators, and taking dominion in this life, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.